What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Welcome to 716 Together, a Western New York Audio Town Hall presentation of Cumulus Media Buffalo, designed to inform, inspire, and empower our community on issues that affect us all. We're joined by Dr. Michael Carter, who is an infectious disease specialist pharmacist at the VA Medical Center in Syracuse. I think I've got all that right. And he has just recently done a number of CE programs around really internationally because people could dial in anywhere. So I was really profoundly impacted by his presentation. So I invited him on today to share some information with us because infection still looms in the air. COVID is still a problem. Dr. Carter, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do as an infectious disease specialist pharmacist. And we're going to talk about COVID because we have to, but tell us what you do on a regular basis. Sure. So my name is Michael. Uh, I am the outpatient antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist over at the Syracuse VA. Uh, So basically my day in day job, what I do is I look at all the antibiotics that are prescribed on an outpatient basis and I base recommendations off of if I think it's appropriate and pair care or if there are alterations to that treatment regimen that I can make uh, to make better care for the veteran and the patient. Um, I also look at cultures on day in and day out, mostly urine cultures, um, since those are most of the cultures that are obtained in the outpatient setting, uh, especially like EDs and things like that. Um, but then I review that culture, review what antibiotic they were given, if they were given any. And then I also make recommendations on that if they should start therapy, hold therapy, or change it altogether. Um, I'm also starting a couple new clinics, so that's always exciting. Uh, one of them would possibly be a travel clinic, so vets can come see me for like a one-stop shop for, um, you know, vaccines, prophylaxis, things like that. Well, with traveling, I mean, there's so much to talk about. I'm not even sure where to start, but talking about travel, tra- travel's starting to loosen up. People are, I think, you know, the world is getting to be a little bit more um, travel-friendly relative to infectious disease potential. So what, what do travelers have to know? I, I'm curious about this. It's going to take me on a tangent, but what when we're traveling, does it matter where we're going and what we'll need to prepare for? Oh, absolutely. Um, so if you look at it, the CDC actually publishes an entire book. Uh, I believe it's the yellow book. And it actually looks at endemic areas such like Africa, things like that. And it actually looks at, um, you know, what you're at risk for. So in certain parts of Africa, there are different types of malaria. So there's different species of malaria and each of them has different resistance patterns and things like that. So based on the, you know, endemic data that we receive in the CDC reviews, it will actually alter your um, malaria prophylaxis. And if you're going to somewhere like Africa, um, it'll tell you if you're going down to the Congos, if you need something like dengue fever, yellow fever vaccines, things like that. Um, And that is a nice resource for us, you know, um, you know, ID people to kind of review a patient's chart and then make these recommendations like, Hey, you know, before you get here, you might want all these, you know, vaccines or prophylaxis um, prior to going, um, and it depends on when a patient's going in terms of what prophylaxis they get. Some prophylaxis you have to start a couple of weeks before, some you can start the day before, some you can just take, you know, that day and then continue to your journey. How about with cruises? So like if, if somebody doesn't necessarily want to do a land trip, are they still at such risk for infection if they're like on a cruise? I would think that's, I don't know. Safer. So if it's in the middle of the ocean, not necessarily, you know, there's not many, you know, um, 
mosquitoes in the middle of the ocean. Um, you know, more thing. Yeah, exactly. You're worried more so about like norovirus, uh, which again, with good hand hygiene and just being mindful of things, um, you can kind of help avoid, uh, especially if there's an outbreak. Um, cruise ships have gotten okay in terms of quarantining, but you know, just being mindful. Um, it's more of some of the land-based stuff that you'd want to look out for. So if you're, you know, doing excursions or things, you know, on con- like on the continent or on different islands that you might want to take a look and discuss with your healthcare provider in terms of, you know, prophylaxis that way. I know you're not accessible to all of us because you're, you're just there for the veterans, but I love the fact that you're able to help us understand that there are risks and things that we can do to take care of those risks, but we have, we have to be planful. Now, do most primary care docs, and you may not be able to answer this, but can I just go to my primary care physician if I don't have access to a pharmacist that has your specialty? Will they help be able to help me kind of get prepared for that as well? Um, to a certain extent, um, you know, the thing with primary cares is they're, you know, the jack of all trades. So they kind of have to know um, almost all the medical school book, you know, they're not specialized per se, but they kind of know the entire medical book. Um, and that's why we have specialists nowadays is because med- the medical field is so vast and large that no single person can know every last little detail. So that's kind of why they refer out to specialists, mm-hmm. but they do have the availability of looking at this, you know, CDC yellow book or recommendations about the area itself. Okay. And so back to COVID, I, I know that most people are so tired of talking about it, but that's, I'm sure you struggle with that on a regular basis for stewardship and infection control. Where are we at in the landscape of COVID from your perspective? So I think based on, if you look at some of the data that we are slowly coming out of it, um, it's nice. Cause you know, I was there during my residency when pen, when the COVID pandemic first kicked off, um, and we really had no idea what we were doing. I'm talking the days of azithromycin and, you know, uh, hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. Um, now we actually have alternative agents that we can use. Um, and we kind of do a, um, you know, up-to-date review on most of these agents. Um, and, you know, we add agents to the market. We take agents off the market. Well, not on the market, but EUAs. We add or take away EUAs for some of these agents. Um, so what is that? So people who are not acronyms, sure. what is an EUA? An EUA is an emergency use authorization that is granted by the FDA. So the medication has not been approved yet for, uh, you know, so like if you think about it, um, just trying to think of a very like Tylenol. So kind of, you know, everything kind of has like slightly approval. So, or uh, I'm trying to think of another agent that everyone would know. Um, that everyone takes. So like metoprolol, for example, that is blood pressure medication. It is, you know, people like, um, so basically it has a brand name, generic name, and it was approved by the FDA. These medications have not been approved by the FDA. However, they've been given this, um, you know, authorization to be used because there have been clinical trials showing that there's some benefit to use versus nothing. That's kind of how they get this authorization. Now, each of these authorizations come with, you know, paperwork. You have to go over all the ins and outs with the probation in order to have them okay, receive the care, things like that. And then everything is strictly documented. Um, So what we'll do is, you know, we'll say, okay, this person is good for this medication. We actually enter all their information into a data warehouse. And then we follow up that patient to make sure that they had no side effects or, you know, um, long-term side effects. We kind of find that. And basically the FDA is using this to um, kind of either kind of approve or disprove these medications 
currently, um, there's three treatment options available for um, COVID. So you have Paxlovid, which is a set pill combination with two different antivirals in it. You can take it, you know, every 12 hours for five days. That one actually has the most data behind it. And it's actually the most preferred at this time. Um, the other one is a medication called Molnipravir. Um, again, it's a bunch of pills that you take uh, for about five days. Um, however, that one doesn't have as good of efficacy. Um, and it's usually only used if you can't use Paxlovid because of the drug interactions. But again, it, you know, something's better than nothing, but it's not the best option. The other option that we have is, in the, you know, the monoclonal antibody, which is a class of medications. And what that is, is remdesivir. The problem with remdesivir is it's a three-day infusion. So you have to get it through an IV bag three days in a row. So admitted um, to the hospital then? You'd have to be admitted to get that, obviously. Not necessarily. So there are some facilities that actually have infusion clinics that you can actually go to, um, not necessarily either ED or, you know, being admitted because admissions are expensive. So usually it's an infusion center that will do it, um, but it's still three days that you have to go back. So, I mean, taking pills for five days versus getting, you know, an IV, the oral is usually the preferred option. Um, there actually used to be two different monoclonal antibodies, uh, bevlituzumab and uh, seretinib, that were both actually had their EUAs withdrawn because they actually had no efficacy against the Omicron variants or the subvariants. That's, um, that's the new one out there. So that's yeah, kind of so the, yeah. See, there's some of the newer subvariants that are out there. So it actually had no effect on either of them, and that's kind of why they were withdrawn. Their EUA withdrawn. So not off the market. The EUA was just temporarily put on hold. So they're not really available now. But if at some point, you know, we notice that you know the subvariants kind of go away, the original kind of comes back, we'll have these agents just in case. Um, and especially for some patients like. Uh, immunosuppressed patients, there was a pre-prophylactic medication. So basically a person would have to have all their COVID vaccinations and then they'd be able to receive this. But what we noticed is that this also no longer kind of adds this protection. So people were getting these infusions without any added benefit. My reasoning is, you know, a little protection is better than none, but it's, um, you know, no efficacy. So, you know, oh, you're really opening these people up for an adverse event uh, if there's no added benefit. So, you know, with regard to the COVID infection itself, people who have the, obviously all of these treatments, this is, this is, if you catch it early, you take these and it mitigates, it minimizes the infection severity. That's sort of a philosophy, right? They're not, you don't take those pills to prevent catching it. Correct. So the best way to prevent it is by your uh, COVID-19 vaccination. So, you know, there's a primary series, there's the boosters, and now there's the new bivalent vaccines that are coming out. Um, that's kind of your best bet to prevent it. These are, if you've been exposed and are at higher risk, um, there's an entire list on the CDC website of people who are at high risk, medium risk, and kind of lower risk for more serious hospitalizations. And, you know, you can kind of use that to stratify where your risk is. And if you should take one of these meds or, you know, just talk to your doctor and be like, Hey, do I qualify for either of those medications? If they say yes, they'll kind of, you know, prescribe it, send it to a local pharmacy. Um, but in terms of vaccinations, um, you know, it's still important to get, uh, it's just kind of a decision now, whether it's going to be, you know, annually or biannually, I would think for a vaccine. Um, I mean, if we're basing it off of influenza vaccine, if you think about it, influenza vaccine really only has six months worth of efficacy. Um, 
So, you know, maybe the fact that the COVID vaccine may only have the same sort of longevity as well. So it might be a biannual vaccine, mm-hmm. potentially. Well, it's interesting because I've never, that I know of, ever had influenza. And I always get my flu vaccine. I always, you know, try to do the right thing. And this year I actually caught influenza. I don't even know how that's possible because I don't think there was any situation where I was near people who were sick. But it was, you know, it, it was, I felt sick, but I, I mean, I could have been much more sick. So how, what is the match on the influenza? I mean, I'm going to take a jump into influenza. <clears throat> what is the match on that with the strain that's going around? Because it seems like a lot of people had influenza. So we probably won't know the exact match until end of flu season, okay. uh, which is right around uh, the peak is like January, February. So we'll be tailing off probably it's towards the um, so once we know that, that's when we can kind of get some stronger data about the kind of match rate. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes it usually will be around like 30%, but that's, you know, half the reason is, is because we're basing our vaccine off of, you know, the Asian flu season. So mm. we're kind of, you know, in order to mass produce it, we need time. So we kind of base it off of what other countries are seeing for their flu seasons and we try and match it. Mind you, you know, influenza kind of does this thing where it does this, you know, you know, antigenic shift, right? So small mutations that kind of allows for these continual reinfections. And that is what kind of outbeats these vaccines. So, but still important to get your vaccine because I could have been much worse, right? Even though it wasn't a perfect match, I'm guessing that it could have been. Yeah, absolutely. It helps lessen it. Um, Mind you, I I think that especially with the COVID pandemic, you know, a lot of people kind of went out and went to these like niche parts of the dark web or niche parts of Facebook when they kind of became, um, you know, more, you know, um, holistic medicine, less Western medicine in terms of like vaccines and everything like that. Um, you know, I always make the jokes that people call them anti-vaxxers and I call them, you know, plague enthusiasts. Um, an interesting way of flipping it around. Okay. Um, you know, I think it's still good. You know, we've had it for years. Uh, I mean, if you look at vaccinations, they work They're, you know, um, you know, unfortunately, some people do have an adverse event, but there is, you know, steps that we take to kind of help minimize that. Um, but for the most part, they're relatively safe and effective um, for tr- you know, prevention, essentially. More of 716 Together coming up in just a moment. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kamal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. Welcome back to 716 Together, a weekly forum to inform, inspire, and empower Western New York. So what is your opinion about, and this, I, I might be catching you off guard, but what is the, the whole you know, cardiovascular heart attack related, you know, I know that the, the recent dropping of the, when he, the Buffalo Bill had the heart attack, you know, people were like, oh, I wonder if he had the vaccine, you know, like people have connected the vaccine to like myocardial events is there what is your opinion about that so 
I'd probably say no for this. Um, I know in one of the studies that looked at uh, the J&J vaccine, and that's a completely different vaccine compared to uh, Pfizer and Moderna, mm-hmm. um, or even this new bivalent. So the J&J used an, you know, an adenovirus, which is you know a virus, and they kind of genetically altered it to kind of give this vaccine. And what they did notice is that in you know some adolescents, it did cause like this myocarditis. Um, it wasn't super widespread, but they did notice it was a thing. Um, MRNA vaccines, not so much. Um, but in terms of the football player, um, you know, that was honestly a freak accident. You know, he was hit at the wrong time. Um, and just a small amount of window that stopped his heart. There was nothing that was, you know, it can technically happen to anyone, but the chances are so slim. I would not say that this was vaccine related. Okay. It's just, you know, people hypothesize. And as, as you said before, there's always, there's two mindsets, right? Where people are trying to reaffirm what their thought is, is the right way to go. And I think in many cases, nobody's a hundred percent, right? I think there's always a, a shade of some truth on both, uh, both ends. And, and like with vaccine related adverse events, you know, there can be that, but there is also that relative to the flu vaccine, you know, even childhood vaccinations, there can be issues as well. So it's nothing new to everybody. It's just that this is such, I think, a volatile conversation that people are still struggling with it. Do you agree? A hundred percent. And that's, that's one of the things that I went over my CE is don't ever force someone to get a vaccine. It's not going to do anything. I mean, you can go, you know, in your car with a hundred doses of influenza and run around and play darts, but that's not going to solve anything. Right. Um, my thing is kind of taking the time and understanding why do you not want this vaccine? You know, my thing is you don't want to necessarily not listen to their beliefs because if you sound like they're tuning them out, they're not going to listen to you or you're not going to build trust. Mm-hmm. My thing is if you listen to a person kind of help, you know, dispel the myths and debunk any, you know, misinformation that's spread and kind of break down and get to the root to the point, that's when you kind of build this, you know, road with two-way conversation where you can kind of have these, you know, very intellectual conversations with patients and explain, you know, Hey, listen, you know, yes, you sent me this article, but there's no scientific backing. Here's this article that, you know, is similar, but, you know, says the opposite and has been proven. Um, you know, and some people, no matter what you do, you'll never change their minds, but it's still good to kind of open up dialogues of communication to kind of see, you know, what information is going out there just so in case, you know, someone else comes and has a question, you can kind of answer it yourself and be like, Oh yeah, I've heard about this, but you know, there's not really much evidence behind that. I applaud your approachability because I think that is a huge step in being able to have patient-centered care and being able to have somebody that might be absolutely against it, maybe moving more towards, you know, trying to listen to the points that you have. So I really appreciate that. I know I wanted to get into also some of the uh, topic that you described, upper respiratory infections and viral versus bacterial. I know that that's probably, um, I actually, in your email signature, I noticed that you said, there's something funny that you say that it's about viruses and bacteria. What is that little little statement you say? Because it's- The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. Sebastian Maniscalco. I'm a comedian. In my 20s, I wasn't like in a company and I don't know like how marketing sales. Yeah, you're a brand, you're a company. Yeah, and- Like Jay-Z says, I'm a businessman. Yeah. Yeah. To that. Remind me not to quote any hip hop lyrics again. That was just a big miss. When you first said it, I'm like, yeah, it's a business, man. Yeah, I nailed it at the end. I pulled it together. It just took me a minute. The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no matter how, um, no matter how popular antibiotics get, they'll never go viral. I love that because it's just completely relevant and it, it never goes out of style because people often seek 
something to just completely fix what's going on, even though a virus just sort of needs to play its way out, right? Correct. So it's interesting. So um, one of the examples that I cited recently in a talk was the fact that, you know, if you look at sinusitis cases, all but, you know, almost all sinusitis cases are viral. Uh, about 0.2 to 10% of all sinusitis cases are actually bacterial. Um, and people immediately think, oh no, I have, you know, green colored mucus or phlegm. I must have a bacterial infection. That's not really the case. There was actually a good paper that was published by Harvard uh, a couple of years ago. And that green color actually comes from iron that's being released. So mm. it's not necessarily a bacterial infection, but more along the lines of just your body getting rid of an infection. Um, you know, so if you look at it, you know, um, it's usually a longer durations are bacterial infection. So like greater than 10 days, um, you know, if you have this, you know, common thing is this double sickening. So, you know, if you have a viral infection, you start getting over it, that inflammation that's left behind from the initial viral infection can trap bacteria and actually cause a secondary bacterial infection. Hmm. So you kind of get that, you know, better and then sick again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So people who seek out antibiotics, and I, I know it's been, it's been become more difficult and probably for a good thing, a good reason, more difficult to get antibiotics because I think the mindset is don't want to, people don't want to have a mutation develop. We're all trying to be more responsible with antibiotic use. But, you know, I, as a, as a mother of at one time, younger sons, uh, who, when they were sick, I wanted them to be better overnight. I think I probably put pressure to say, I want an antibiotic because I want them to feel better. What do you say right. to parents that are, well, and I know you deal with more of an older population, but what, what do you say to, to a population seeking that quick, that quick solution? So I, I understand what you mean by that, having three and with another on the way. Um, I completely, thank you. I completely understand that pressure, um, especially, you know, when they're not feeling well and they're crying, you're know, like, what can I do for them? Like, I understand that pressure. It's, you know, especially in the early stages, if it's quick, um, you know, there's different indications for, you know, and even different ages. Um, with sicknesses and things like that, you know, especially going to daycare, a lot of the time kids just get really sick. You know, mm -hmm. these places are just, you know, a Petri dish. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Every other day they're coming home sick with something. So, you know, it, it's really important that if you feel like they're sick to take them to their doctor and let them do a full workup on them and not necessarily make that doctor feel like they have to prescribe an antibiotic, listen to the doc, listen to them all out. They, you know, they've seen a thing or two as the state farm commercials would say. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, the big thing is, you know, there is supportive medications out there that can be used, especially in the children's cold and flu aisles that will make them feel better without needing to use an antibiotic. But just don't go willy nilly on the over the counter stuff either. I think with kids, sometimes the better, maybe the better course is to not over medicate. So um, well, yeah, absolutely. yeah, I appreciate that. With the older group, though, I know that that's sort of your specialty population relative to all of the new vaccines. And this is just sort of pulling out another another factor is pneumovax. And I know that they there is a new pneumovax vaccine. It's very confusing for older adults as a as a daughter of an older mother. It gets confusing to be able to help advise her as to what she really needs and all of that. Can you speak to pneumovax at all? Yeah. So the new one that's kind of come out has kind of replaced uh, the old ones. Um, basically what this is, is it's added on um, more um, stereotypes essentially. So the body will be able to recognize more of these more infectious um, 
you know, men in Chicago. Um, I mean, strep pneumos. Um, but basically what ends up happening is depending on your risk factors um, and the indication, that'll kind of tell you, you know, which one that you need to get or receive. Um, and there's actually an entire, you know, vaccine card that the CDC publishes um, that gives kind of the risk factors, breaks it down and tells you which vaccine you should receive, when you should receive it. Um, and even if you need to get the new one, even if you've got the old ones. Where can you find that information? You said the CDC has this? So yeah, the CDC. So if you just put in CDC vaccination schedule, it'll actually prompt you and show you. It's, you know, it's a nice card. You can print them out. Um, Sometimes you can get them mailed to you, but usually a printout's more than fine. Um, you know, sometimes it's okay to talk to your doctor about it too. Um, and the reason I say that is because there is a lot of information that is put onto the cards that sometimes um, is unnecessary information and may make you worry. Well, and plus it's probably like information overload, right? It's, it's like, a lot of information overload. I was just going to say, it's important to keep your medication list updated, but also you should be thinking about your vaccinations because now there's a new shingles vaccine. You can imagine, and probably, you know, based on your knowledge and expertise, it's, it's not so overwhelming, but for, for an average person, right. you know, they think they've gotten the, the vaccines that they need to, but now there's a whole new level of them. So exactly. it's confusing and overwhelming. Yep. I mean, like that Shingrix vaccine. So, you know, you used to be the Zostavax. So you got the one shot and you were done. You know, Shingrix is now two vaccinations that are scheduled within, you know, that two mm -hmm. to six month range. But if you look at it, I mean, the efficacy increased from, you know, 56%. So one out of almost every two people still got shingles to like 93 to 95% effective. Compelling. It's super compelling. Mm -hmm. But now in terms of just like older people talking, there's a lot of more, there's a lot more discomfort with that other injection. We're almost out of time. I hate to say this, but, but that people shouldn't be afraid of that. Right. It just is. No. So, vehicle. okay. Yeah. So basically that pain and the swelling is basically um, it's your body's jumpstarting your immune system. So, I mean, if you think about it, you know, it's instead of using a, um, you know, a 2000, you're like a 2000 Honda battery. It's like using a brand new, like the new, um, elect, the Ford, um, F-150 electric, the lightnings. I'm not so a power I, person, but it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot more power to it. Um, and that kind of causes that, you know, um, very quick and robust immune response in that one site. Um, you know, it kind of has, you know, certain things that are added to it, like adjuvants is what they're called. And it kind of helps, you know, start that, you know, cascade of immune, um, response to kind of develop that, you know, immunity, um, memory essentially. And, you know, sometimes you feel terrible, but you know, most of the time no one's, so this is an inactivated vaccine. So it's not a living, a non living virus. So you're not going to get sick from it. You're going to feel bad, but from it, but that's just because your immune system's kind of, you know, working. It's it, basically how I put it is, you know, if you start hurting after taking a vaccine, you know, like I have muscle aches and things like that, it's basically your body just working out. Just remember to, you know, beat out a virus. Mm -hmm. It's like being at the gym. If it doesn't hurt, exactly. it doesn't work, right. We have one minute. I hate to like have one last thing, but I only have one more time, one more little bit of time to ask you a question for older adults. Should they be seeking that high dose flu vaccine, is it worth it? I know, no, I know a vaccine is better than none, but if they have a chance, can, should they try it? 
So believe it or not, ACIP actually just released a new statement for 2022 slash 2023. And there are the quadrivalent inactivated vaccines that they are recommending. Those are for anyone 65 and older. That's what they're recommending first. If those are not available, then you can look out your age appropriate vaccinations. Okay. Perfectly timed. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us, Dr. Carter. We'll have you back if you're, if you're willing to come on back with us. Sure. Sounds good to me. Okay. Have a great night. We'll see you next time. Take care. Be well. You too. Thanks for listening to 716 Together. Listen for new shows on the air every Sunday morning at 6 and on-demand podcasts posted weekly. This has been a presentation of Cumulus Media Buffalo. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennig. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. It was challenging, but it was like the show. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're not. It's no fun. Genuinely. And if it wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like it was. Hey, it was fine. Because I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.